Welcome to the Genuinely You podcast channel, which is packed with advice and tips on how to live your life with purpose. Do you wish you felt happy and fulfilled? Are you feeling stuck, wishing things could be better? Are you ready to take some action and create the life you want? To start living an empowered life, you need to recognize and make full use of the power and freedom that comes from being genuinely you. Your host is Gina Gardner, a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognize that they can. Hello there, it's Gina Gardner here. I'm the author of Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. I'm a motivational speaker and I'm the founder of the Thrive Tribe. And I'm joined, as usual, with our coffee and conversations by Rachel Davidson, the author of The Point of Me, a great spiritual novel. We're going to talk today about anxiety, the art of managing anxiety. And during the show today, we're going to give you 10 top tips, really, to help you manage anxiety. I think one of the things that's really important to recognise that anxiety is actually a natural response to stress. From the moment that we're born, our unconscious mind has one job, and that job is to keep us safe. The whole point of its role is survival. And if you see very tiny babies when they're born, they're very twitchy, their arms shake and and wave about. And it takes a few days for them to recognise that they can be safe and secure and that the adults who have care of them will take care of their security. And as we grow through toddler, you know, very small babies in toddlerhood, children will look to their carers to determine whether something is safe or not. They look at the the yes. face and they look at the expression. Yes. And as we grow older, so we learn to manage mm. our own safety, mm. some better than others. Mm. So the response to stimuli like stress and so on can, can often be sort of, well, created in those very, very early days, can't they? Absolutely. If you happen to have parents who are very anxious... Mm then you are more likely to be very anxious. Mm. Although it's not a a cast iron rule because you can often have children in one family Mm. where one is a huge risk taker and the other is very, very careful. So some of it is your innate wiring. Um, Some of it is about the environment in which you live. Mm. But of course, how you are initially doesn't have to be how you stay. Mm. But I think before we go into you know, how you manage anxiety, mm. one of the things that I think it's really important to understand what's going on. Yeah, but what, what use is anxiety to us? Well, we like to think that we are incredibly involved. Mm. But actually, we are not much different to gazelles or deer um, on the, the savannah yeah. or rabbits who are... Um, in the field, you know, close to your house or in the country. Mm. We have an an innate need to survive. Mm. And so our natural instinct is to be wary, to be mindful of the threats that are around us. If there is a perceived threat, and I'll come on to the word perceived, because for the most part, we perceive 
that the threat <clears throat> is life-threatening, yeah. but actually it's not. Yeah. So when the body actually recognises a real or an imaginary threat, it goes into survival mode, the mm. flight, fright or flight syndrome. Yes. The body starts to release its most powerful hormones, mm. adrenaline. Mm -hmm. If you think, you know, if you watch a hospital program, the heart stops, what do they do? Pump. They inject yep. adrenaline. Yep. Hydrocortisone, cortisol. Yes. There are others, but they're the main three. Yep. And they're designed to do a number of things. Immediately, that sort of threat um, is uh, felt. Mm. Your adrenaline, cortisol, and hydrocortisone are released. Mm. That increases your heart rate mm -hmm. so that the blood starts to pump around your body yeah. in order for your muscles to be fed oxygen and um, glucose yeah. so that you can run out of danger. Yes. But it also... Um, takes away the blood supply. 60% of our blood supply is taken up with digestion. Right. And so in order to redirect that blood, mm -hmm. our body's incredibly miraculous mm -hmm. things. That blood flow, or a lot of that blood flow, is mm -hmm. diverted in order to help us be able to run. Right. And if you watch nature programs, what you'll see is animals usually defecate. Right. They empty their bowels yeah. because they're going to have less blood supply going yes. to the bowels. Yes. So it's not surprising that when people are feeling anxious, what they feel are butterflies in their tummy. Yeah, yeah, yes. They feel they often um, need to go to the toilet. Yeah. They feel a bit lightheaded. Yes. And all of those physiological signs are just a response to the physiological changes yes. that get us ready to run. It's funny, we have, we have a joint friend who referred to her period of anxiety in her life as every morning she'd get up and have her anxiety poo. <laughs> <laughs> a bit too much information, possibly. But, <laughs> but it's, it's a, a real truth. Yeah. The other thing is that they talk about our digestive system being the second brain. Yes. And there's more and more evidence which shows that there are nerve cells all the way down that are, have a real connection mm. to the part of our brain yes. which deals with fear and anxiety. Yes, yes. And so, you know, if you find yourself needing to go to the toilet, if you're feeling sick, if you're mm. feeling that your tummy is all over the place, mm. it is a very clear physiological sign mm. um, if you're also anxious mm. that it's the anxiety. Mm. It's interesting that you talk about um, anxiety um, in, in animals and, and how... Uh, they work. I mean, I uh, used to keep horses, and um, an anxious horse, a spooky horse, you know, it's, they are a, um, obviously um, a, a prey animal, so they are designed to be wary and to watch out for the uh, the wolves on the horizon. So it's in their it's you know it's in their DNA to be uh, risk averse. And um, but you can get horses uh, that are calm and bomb proof. That's a phrase that gets used in the equine world to describe a horse that is chilled and... Well, look at police horses, for example, yeah. <clears throat> going into riots and all exactly. sorts of situations. Whereas other horses, really, really sort of constantly on their nerves and frankly, really very dangerous. I mean, they're big animals anyway. And when they're sort of operating on that level of fear and it's hard to then deal with that animal and being in close proximity to them, very dangerous uh, to, to be around. And the same with dogs, actually. 
an anxious dog is so much harder to deal with than one that is just aggressive because he thinks he needs to own the place. An anxious one, far more dangerous. And whilst anxious people are not dangerous to other people, generally speaking, there are inherent dangers of being anxious all the time. Yes. Because those hormones, they're incredibly powerful. Mm. They're designed to get you out of danger. They're not designed for you to stay in that place. Yes. You're either eaten or you escape. Yes. So they're short they're designed for short-lived periods. Mm. One of the problems of modern living is those hormones stay at low levels within our systems. Yeah. Because most people who suffer from anxiety, it's long term Mm. and they become anxious about everything. And for me, one of the interesting things is that the very hormones that are designed to help you get out of trouble are actually a big part of the problem. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? That that you perceive some danger, whatever that trigger is. Your, your body has a physical reaction to it. The hormones that are produced in order to, you know, save you um, stick around because actually, you know, you're not dealing with danger. Um, and then those same hormones that are supposed to save you then start to, you know, create this much more dangerous situation for you, for you to be in. Well, because if you think about it, you have a situation where blood pressure is raised. Mm. What's, you know, that you look at some of the common reasons for people Mm. um, dying early or actually uh, being disabled. High blood pressure is is a classic one. Right. Because not only do you have a higher danger of heart attack, Mm. but also stroke. Yeah. Um, People having ulcers, creating um, too much acid in your tummy, Mm. that's another side effect Mm. of... Um, anxiety. Now, I am not saying that all heart attacks, no. all strokes, no. and all ulcers are caused by anxiety. No. What I am saying is that if you live in an anxious state, yeah, a state of agitation, long term, yeah. it's going to have a detrimental effect on your health. Yes. Because not only does it affect those things, but it also affects your immune system. Mm. That if you're consistently anxious, Mm. then your immune system becomes depressed. Mm. You're much more likely to be um, catching Mm. viruses, colds and so on. Because so much of your inner physical resources are being taken up in trying to keep you safe. And the more anxious you get, the more anxious you get because your body is trying to keep you safe. But there's a huge emotional cost too. You can only use your time and your energy once. Yeah. It's a finite resource. We've talked about that uh, on, a, on another show. Yeah. But if your time and your uh, emotional resources, your headspace, is consistently taken up with being anxious, mm. I shouldn't have done that, I should have done the mm. other, um, what's going to happen, mm. I don't think I can manage, mm. then there's no headspace to do anything more positive. No. No. So it becomes very destructive, mm. and it's a bit of a beast. Mm. It feeds off itself. Mm. Well, going back to those spooky horses, it was often because they hadn't been exposed to a, a normal life and weren't living a, a natural balance. Yeah. And the, the way to slowly calm them down was to slowly increase their exposure to stuff that frightened them. Yes. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe that's the same. I mean, Well, it's exactly the same. You think how often we've talked about living within your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. And how course. narrow that world becomes. Mm. 
this is about you know in a controlled way i'm not suggesting anybody's foolhardy mm. but in a controlled way challenging your comfort zone yes you know most things are scary the first time you do it yes but i think in today's modern world we've talked about the news and the fact that that you know you are bombarded with images mm. of things which which actually engender fear mm. over which you have no control yes People are anxious about their relationship, mm. the fact they haven't got one, or the fact that the one that they have isn't mm. as they wanted. Yeah. It's not the Disney relationship that, that they dream of. Yeah. Or about money, mm. or about where they're going to live, or the getting work, or doing well in work. Mm. There are so many things that it is possible to be anxious about. Yes. And once you start being anxious, then... It's contagious. It goes from one area of your life into another, into yeah. another, into yeah. another. And although I believe you can be anxious without being depressed, yeah. I think if you are depressed, then your level of anxiety is much more easily triggered. Right. Now, you see, I would describe myself as a person who hasn't really ever suffered from anxiety. I mean, I've had my anxious moments. But, yes. But they've always been relatively natural and normal, considering what I was going through. Um, but I ha have been a person who's suffered depression. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought of depression and anxiety as sort of opposites. But I'm not sure if that's actually true. I think what we tend to get are simplistic models. Yes, yes. You know, um, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about um, depression is often seen as looking, um, living that in course. the past, looking back, yes. and anxiety, worried about the future. Yeah. But I've met many clients who are anxious about things that they've done mm. um, or mm. didn't do yeah. in the past. Yeah, yeah. And I've met plenty of people who are depressed. And there's depression because something in your life has happened. So yes. depressed about a bereavement or a, a loss of mm. uh, something, a, a relationship that's not gone well. Mm. So I think we've got to make a, a, a distinction between mm. depression, which is created through um, through life experiences, and mm -hmm. depression, which is clinical, mm. around you know people who are depressed despite the fact that actually life is pretty good. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think if we're talking about the former, you know, people who are depressed in terms of life's activity, mm. then I think anxiety is the other side of it. But mm. I'm not sure. I'm not medically trained. I don't. I think it's a 3D model, and we're being being given a 2D model. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's yes. ever that simple, is no, it? No, no. Um, and I think you know some people are predisposed mm. to anxiety or depression, where other people are are blessed in the mm. fact that that they're not. Mm. But I don't think that because you have that problem and you're predisposed, that that means that you have to stay stuck. Mm. There was an interesting interview with Tommy Tiernan and Michael Harding. Michael's a, an author and columnist of the Irish Times. And he he did a tiny, tiny little piece to camera about depression because he suffered depression for all his life. And he says depression is very natural. He thinks everyone has it. And he goes on to say very eloquently about how it, he thinks that depression is a signal for something to change. It's It's a... It's a small death, as he describes it. Right. And I wondered, actually, if anxiety was sort of the same, but different symptoms, uh, you know, a, a, a different process going on, but equally a, a similar message to you that, you know, you're approaching, 
you're approaching stuff in the wrong way, you're worrying about the wrong things, and that, that actually all of these symptoms are little knocks on your door to say, perhaps you should try something different. I think most negative emotions mm. are actually trying to teach us that that things could be done in a better way. Mm. You know, guilt is a, an emotion which is designed to teach us not to do the same thing again, yeah, but to do yeah. it differently. Yeah. And I think anxiety, for me, I think it's saying to whoever's experiencing it, there is something that needs to be dealt with. Yes. And I think part of that is to for people to take stock of the measure mm. that they're using. Because anxiety often is completely disproportionate mm. to the situation at hand. Yes. And as we've already said, that once you are in an anxious state, mm. the anxious state actually creates more anxiety because of the hormones. And because, because we talk about a, a, a heightened reality, don't we? Yeah. And, and that's effectively what's happening, is that your perspective on things is is warped, is changed, is is um, is different from what actually the reality of, um, is. And it's the stories and the narratives that we tell ourselves. We make meaning of everything. We do. <laughs> and we have a perspective on everything. Mm. Is it the truth? Yeah. No, it's a truth. It's yeah. your truth. Yes. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's the absolute no. truth. No, We make stories up about everything. Yeah. I find it fascinating that, you know, we are the um, author of our own life story, yes. aren't we? Yes. And you as an author know that you <laughs> yeah. have lots of options. We were talking yeah. about, you know, you're writing your next book and how the characters, you've got choices about, you yes. know, do they take the light way or the dark way? Yes. Do they, you know, how they're going to react? And I think lots of people think that that only happens when you're writing novels. Yeah, no, no, no. But the truth is, it happens as you write your life story. Yes. So and why don't we write ourselves a great part, the part of the hero? That's why I think um, human beings created stories and books, because in creating fiction, we describe meaning for our day-to-day -day existence. Mm -hmm. and, and, I mean, obviously, as a story writer, I love narratives and stories, but I've always thought that maybe there's um, an aspect of if you're making up this story, whatever it is, that's making you anxious and and you accept that you're making up a story about it because it's not actually happening, then make up a different story. Because if you can make one story up, you can make another story up. Of course up. you can. Let, I mean, a really great example is stage fright. Yes. So... You know, there are people who suffer from stage fright, whether they're professionals or they've got to give a, a presentation um, for work, for example. Yeah. And it's paralysing. Yes. And yet, it's the same, exactly the same set of, of hormones and yeah. physiological responses yeah. that create the adrenaline rush, which gives you a great performance. Yes. So if you perceive it as, I'm feeling this because I'm ready to go and I'm going to give a great performance, yes. or, oh, no, yeah. I'm paralysed with fear, yeah. it's the same situation. Yes. Different but, story. But different story. Different story an empowering one yeah. or a completely paralysing one. Yes. I've, I've heard that said about panic attacks, actually, that 
one of the ways to move yourself from a panic attack is to reframe the anxiety by saying, I'm not anxious, I'm excited. Yes. And to start thinking of it in those ways. So again, just a different story that your, your brain is yes. telling yourself and therefore your body. And I think it's useful to unpick what's actually going on. Mm. I'd like to spend the rest of, of our time together perhaps sharing um, 10 strategies that clients have found really oh, helpful yeah. because it's all very well talking about it <laughs> but what actually you do in the moment exactly and I don't want people to leave uh, the show today um, actually feeling more anxious <laughs> that's <laughs> that not wrong. no that would be wrong <laughs> so these are strategies which you can use um, in isolation or you can use a combination right um, they're like all strategies if you use them, they've got the capacity to work. Mm -hmm. If you don't use them, of course, they're going to make no difference. They won't. No. Okay. So, strategy number one: mm -hmm. acknowledge the feeling. Right. Trying to bury it and saying to yourself, "It's not real. I'm not there." Yeah. Burying emotions tends to make them more powerful. Yeah. And they have a, a really nasty habit of popping up at the most inopportune moments. Yes. So acknowledge the fact that you're feeling anxious. Yes, yes. And start to unpick which of that is reality mm. and which of that is the meaning that you've made. And we'll mm. come on to that in a bit more detail. But in the first instance, just acknowledging that you're anxious mm. and that you it's not a comfortable feeling. Mm. But the second strategy is to give yourself permission to deal with it differently. Okay, yeah. And I think giving yourself permission is perhaps a new concept for people. Mm. But we often wait for other people to tell us it's all right, yes. rather than giving ourselves permission. Yes. And one very, very simple construct is to close your eyes, to take some deep breaths, mm -hmm. to imagine there's a, a dial or a lever in front of you. Think about how much per permission am I giving? And often it's you know, teens, lower 20s, mm -hmm. and then imagine that that dial or that lever goes up to 100, mm -hmm. 100 being 100% permission, yeah. pull the lever or turn the dial to 100% mm. and lock it in, mm. because you have absolute power and dominion over you. Yes. You're yes. responsible for you, your physical self, your emotional and spiritual self, yes. and if you give yourself permission... Yeah. It makes a difference. Now, for those of you that are not unfamiliar with it, you may think, what are they on? <laughs> but it does work. Yes. Then the, second, the third thing to do is to look at, is this a situation where I can affect change? Yeah. Is my anxiety due to, I've watched the news and I've seen the terrible things going on in the news, yeah. um, that I have a general anxiety that is created by things outside me? Yeah. Is it an anxiety about something which might happen? Mm. You know, people who are going through change, for example, is people who are facing redundancy. Mm. Yeah. The levels of anxiety because of the uncertainty yes. are enormous. Oh, I've, I've lived that, yes. But yeah. often there's nothing you can do about it. No. So if it's a situation over which you have the power to change, mm. then change it. Mm. If it's a situation where it's out of your control, mm. the one thing you can do is choose to do to react to it differently. Yes. And the following um, 
strategies will help you do that. Mm. But I think d making that differentiation between this is something I can control, this yeah. is something I can't control, because it yeah. gets like a huge bowl of spaghetti yes. where you don't know where to start. Exactly, yes. And there is an element, actually, that you could look at the situation and think, maybe there's a possibility I could accept it. Yes. Not all the time, obviously. Well, it's so, you just have to leave it. It's so much determined by the circumstance, and yes. we're giving... You know, a, a catch-all. Yes. People will need to think of their own circumstances yeah. and uh, utilize them in a way the that works. The point is, you've always got that choice. Yes, you've always got that choice of those three options. So number four mm -hmm. is actually create a scale from one to ten right. of how big a problem is this. Yeah. Because often we have a perception that the problem is much bigger than it is. Yes. So one out of ten is no threat. Yeah. 10 out of 10 is life-threatening. Yeah. Where is it yeah. on that continuum? Yeah. And also, you know, having calibrated where it is, mm. uh, what, could, what step could I take to actually bring that score down? Mm. What simple first step could I take? Mm. And having taken that first step, mm. right, what now? Yeah. What now? Rather than trying to deal with the thing as a whole. Yes. So number five is to do the mountain molehill test. I like this one. So to ask yourself, is this a mountain or a molehill? In a day's time, will it be a mountain or a molehill? Yeah. What about a week? Yeah. What about in a month? Yeah. Will it still be a mountain or will it have been downgraded because time has passed? Mm. And what about at the end of the year mm. or the end of your lifetime? Mm. So if it's going to be downgraded in time, mm. why not choose to downgrade it now? Mm and save yourself the angst mm. that's going to go on for a day, a week, a month, a year. I really love that one because it's, an, it's just a really easy way of getting true perspective. Yeah. If you're feeling in, very anxious, one of the quick ways to deal with this is to change your physiology. Mm. So your physiology determines in the moment very often how you feel. So if you stand in a way, imagine that you'd won the pools or mm. you'd won the lottery, mm. your physiology is going to be very different to if you had just um, lost mm. a fortune. Mm. But changing a physiology can be done by breathing. Yeah. It's my belief, it's why so many people go and make a cup of tea in a crisis, because yeah. they physically get up <laughs> and they go and t they have an action which has a yes. beginning, a middle and an end. Yes. But also, you know, getting up and doing a dance, mm. hopping on one foot. Seems silly, but one of the other strategies that laughter is a huge yeah. antidote to anxiety. Yeah. So if you actually change your physiology yeah. and you do something which yeah. makes you laugh, ministry of silly walks, or just something that breaks the state of anxiety, yes. that can really help you feel more resourced in order to do some of the strategies which perhaps will take a longer time. You know, that really reminds me, again, going back to those horses, because horses, um, with their fear response, if they are, if you chase them, and in training of horses, that's often in a, in a sand menage, and if you, in inverted commas, chase them, so they're acting upon their fear response of running away, after 15 minutes of this, they will physically change, they, because there's a process that basically says, well, I've been running for 15 minutes, and the strategy hasn't helped me, the threat, in inverted commas, is still here, so they... 
try a different technique. So it gets rid of all of the cortisol and the stress hormones because they're physically burning them off. And then they're able to come back to the situation, same situation, the person is still standing next to them that was the threat in inverted commas and actually approach them in a different way. Which is brilliant because it's the next strategy. Yes. Exercise burns off yeah. all of those hormones. Yeah. It, it is a huge antidote yeah. to um, any of the stress hormones. Yeah. Laughter and exercise are great. Yes. And if you think about it, in modern day, we don't run away from our threats. Mm. We tend to stay inured in those threats. Yes. But going to take some exercise and some fairly, it doesn't have to be long, but it's useful if it's a brisk walk or a run or a cycle or a swim. Something that actually will enable you to burn uh, those uh, hormones yes. off so it needs to get your heart rate up yes in yes. order to um to to burn those things yeah. off yeah. so exercise is is a really great one yeah. for me exercise and laughter are the two simplest biggest antidotes in the short term to anxiety yeah. Yeah. um one of the things that that clients have found helpful if the anxiety persists yeah is to write down just unfiltered everything that you're worried about. Right. Just to splurge it all on paper, leaving no detail. Right. Now, sometimes that's enough. Yeah. But actually, if it's not, then read out loud what you've written to yourself mm. Mm. and then write it again. Mm. again. Not a direct copy, but in, start with a new piece of paper and mm. write your all your anxieties out a second time. Right. And then read it out. Right. Often that's enough. Yes. If it isn't, write it out a third time. Uh-huh, yeah. What happens is the unconscious mind, to start with, quite enjoys the, uh-huh. the drama uh-huh. of it, but very quickly gets bored <laughs> and starts to put things into a perspective. Yes. Another technique which is based on writing is to write all your fears and then to use a highlighter pen. Yeah. And to take the highlighter pen and to look at all of your anxieties on paper Mm. and highlight what is actual truth, Mm. different colour highlight pen, Mm. what is what I've made up, what can I do about it, which Mm. are the things that I can actively do. And what that does is it helps order the mind so that the mind can deal with that. Yes, yes. It's and like a project manager doing a risk plan, you know, and, and working out probabilities of risk happening and impact if it does and all this. Yeah. And once you've got that sort of, you know, sketched out, then you sort of feel, you feel, well, you know, I sort of know what's coming yes. and, and I know I've got a plan. If it happens, I know what to do. And so it's like the brain can just say, well, I, I, I can relax. I can, I can rest now. And my last tip before we leave people today Mm -hmm. is a mindfulness exercise which can really take you out of that anxiety in the moment. Because being in the moment is a great place to to alleviate anxiety because the the past has gone, you can't do anything about it, and the next minute hasn't happened. So if you sit with your feet on the floor, Mm -hmm. close your eyes, breathe deeply, Mm. and just allow yourself to be still. Mm. Initially, what can you hear? Mm. And tune into everything that you can hear. Mm. 
And then what can you feel? You know, your clothes on the chair, mm. the breeze on your face if you happen to be doing this outside. Mm. Um, what can you feel in your body? Where can you, you know, scan your body? What mm. can you feel? Um, can you smell anything? Mm. Is there any taste in your mouth? Mm. And then finally, open your eyes and look at the textures and the colours and the perspective and so mm. on. And just give yourself that. It takes two or three minutes, that's all. Mm. But it can just bring you back to a place where you can manage mm. that sense of anxiety. Mm. Now, if your anxiety is ongoing and you're finding it difficult to manage, get some help. Yes. And if people want some help, you can contact me through the website, mm -hmm. genuinely-you. But I would say if your anxiety is taking over and you know these simple strategies aren't working for you, mm. get some help. Yeah. So... That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you very much for joining us today. You can get um, Rachel's book, The Point of Me, from Amazon. You can get a free download of my book, Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret po uh, Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment from the web website genuinely-u.com. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to uh, being with you the next time. Bye now. You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work, spanning over 30 years of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-you.com today to find out more.